Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. We grew up in Montgomery, or my family was in Montgomery, so we being the boys, the McGee boys, grew up in Montgomery and... um, I had a, uh, a lot of friends that had lake houses, and it was not unusual for us to go spend uh, a week or a couple of days up at the lake. It was not unusual to break away and to go just spend a day on the lake. Uh, it, was, it was close enough to where you could get there and uh, manage it pretty easily. So it was not uncommon for me on a summer uh, weekend to be spending that weekend with friends at the lake skiing. And when I was a senior, one year, we decided to go up, and there was a group of about 10 of us, which was the first bad idea, because there weren't enough beds, and uh, we knew that going into it, but hey, we were all high school boys, who cared, right? So that was the first bad idea. We, we all went up to the lake, 10 of us, and we all wanted to ski. <clears throat> the second bad idea is that there was no adult with us. Now, that normally wouldn't be bad, except that it was a group of 10 boys that were going up to ski. And when you got a group, uh, group of 10 guys that are teenagers wanting to ski together, they're going to try to outshine each other, right? You're going to prove that you're the best skier. It becomes a competition. And so there were never any adults on the, on the boat uh, to, to, um, to kind of watch us and to make sure we weren't doing stupid things. And we did stupid things. <clears throat> because not only were we skiing, but then we thought it would be really cool to go behind the skier on a jet ski and jump the wake. Well, I said that was a bad idea. Just for the record, I was like, no, that's stupid. But no one else seemed to have a problem with it. So there we are out on the lake this day, skiing. It was a beautiful day uh, up on uh, Lake Martin. And I don't even know where, I don't remember where we were on the lake when this particular incident happened. But we were, we were, um, we were on the lake and we were skiing a guy who was, uh, who was trying to do some tricks, and he was trying to um, do some, some spins in the air when he jumped the wake, and so in the middle of that, that's fine, that's great, there's no problem with that, and it's, it's actually pretty cool, and we were trying to coach him up on how to do it, and he was, and he was out there doing a really good job, and, um, but, but he was doing that while there was a sea not far behind him jumping the wake, which is just really stupid altogether, but we're high school teenage boys thinking that we're invincible until we're not. And so John is skiing behind the boat doing these tricks and he, and he grabs the rope and he turns it and he's going to jump and try to clear the wake and spin as he does it and land. And when he lands, he lands sideways, skis shoot out, he hits the water and about that time, here comes the sea dew. John comes out of the water and bam! right on his head. Last week I talked about bad decisions and how bad decisions put us in bad situations. And this was one of those. And if you remember from two weeks ago, we saw that David had done something very similar. He had gotten kind of cavalier. He had kind of taken advantage of God's grace in that He thought, well, if I just do what Saul was supposed to do, I'll be okay. And remember, he left the confines, the friendly confines, 
of the Hebrew nation, and he's gone to live amongst the Philistines. And while he's living amongst the Philistines, he's lying to them while he's raiding the enemies of the Israelites. If you weren't here two weeks ago, what was happening was David was lying to this Philistine ruler, like, look, I'm going in and I'm raiding, I'm raiding all these Jewish settlements that, uh, that I used to be friends with, but now I'm going and raiding them for you. But he was lying to the guy. What he was actually doing was, was going and raiding the Amalekites because that's what Saul was supposed to do, but Saul never did. And he would go in and he would raid the town and he would kill everybody. If you were here two weeks ago, we talked about this. And David was making these really rogue decisions. But he was doing it under the auspice of this is what God told Saul to do, so I'm going to do it. But because he had moved out of the Israelite land and now was living amongst the Philistines, and because there, were no real, uh, there was no real connection to God in this section while he's living among the Philistines, he starts making bad decisions. Now, he's going back and saying, but this is what you told, this is what Saul was supposed to do. So, so that was kind of his mentality, but he was doing it kind of on his own. And he was making bad decisions, and he painted himself in a corner. There were really three groups of people that could be mad at him, right? The Israelites, because Saul was still king and because he had left the Israelite nation. The Philistines, because he was David, who killed their champion. He was David, the one who killed thousands of Philistines already. And he was David, the one lying to the Philistine Lord that he was under, Achish. Then the third group of people that were mad at him were the Amalekites, because he's killing their people. He's destroying their villages and stealing all that they had. So David has has going out on his own, trying to make his own decisions, trying to do things that he he thinks is right, kind of taking a note from what God had told Saul to do. He makes his own way. And he's painted himself into a corner, and it's not good. And that's where we pick up the story today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be actually in two chapters. 1 Samuel 29, which is only a handful of verses. It's only 11 verses. And then we're going to look at the first six verses of the next chapter, Samuel 30, 1 through 6. So 1 Samuel 29, 1 through 11, and 1 Samuel 30, 1 through 6. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek. And the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. Now, what's interesting is about this geography is that it is at the northern tier of the Philistines. It's the Philistines' border with Israel, and there's a river that runs there, and there's a source of the river. And so, this is a great place. It's the place from which the Philistines would gather their army to go and raid the Israelites because there was plenty of water and provisions here. It was a really rich part of the land. And so they would gather here to, to get fed up, to gather enough food and water before they went on their, before they went on their uh, marches into Israel to, to fight Israel. So Israel was li- likewise at Jezreel, which also had uh, this kind of situation where they could get food and water. And so they're sitting looking at each other, ready for battle. 
And as the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear of Achesh. Now remember, Achesh had said, you were going to go to battle with me. You're going to help me as we go to battle against the Israelites. So David has painted himself in this corner. He has lied to Achish, and he's told him that I've been raiding Israelites all along. But he hasn't really. So here's the conundrum he's in. If he goes to war against the Israelites, what could happen? I'm going to open this up. What's, what's problematic about this? If David goes to war and he fights against the Israelites, what's problematic about that for him? Yeah, he's going to eventually be their king, right? What else? It's his family. It's people that he's fought next to, right? These are his friends. What else is problematic about it? Okay, yeah, someone's going to find out that he's been lying one way or the other, right? What else? God might not be with him if he fights against the Israelites. I hadn't thought about that. What else? Yeah, now he's got to be in close proximity and he's going to face Saul. And how problematic would it be if it fell on him to kill Saul? Which was a high likelihood here. They could have turned to him in the middle of battle and said, which one's Saul? You go kill him. Right? So here David is in this bad situation. Now, on the flip side, what could David do? David could say, you know what, I've really been a spy this whole time, and I'm going to turn around and start slaying the Philistines. But what's problematic about that? He's literally surrounded by them. And where he falls in the lineup here as we read it, is he is at the rear with Achish, which means that there's probably, that, that's just one group, but there's probably people behind him, there's lots of people in front of him. What's he going to do here? Like, he is surrounded. He and his men would die instantly. He is in a horrible position that he put himself in. Just like John when he was on the back of the boat doing tricks while there was a sea-doo behind him. It was just stupid. And so there David is, stuck. He has no good answer. Verse 3, the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? So they're marching through and all of a sudden it's like, scratch. You know, it's like uh, the, the record scratches and everybody turns like, what, what are they doing here? Right in the middle of us. What is going on? And Achish says to the commanders, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and now for years. So this is a phrase, we cha- they changed it in the English to say for days and years, but it's actually for days now and for years now, which is a way of saying for over a year. So he's been with me for over a year, and since he deserted to me, he came to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines weren't going to have it. 
And they were like, what are you doing? Verse 4, send the, men, send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to the Lord? Would it not be a good way for him to get back into good graces with Saul to turn around and fight us? Right? So they're looking at it strategically and they're saying, well, if we let David fight, he might get in his mind, hey, I can patch the stuff up with Saul just by killing all these Philistines around me. And they were right. So they're like sending back. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? And is this not the David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. They're like, remember this is the guy who's killed thousands of us. This doesn't compute. Why is he here? Send him home. Now think about that for a second. That they decide to send him home. I mean, quite frankly, I'm surprised they didn't just slaughter him right there. I mean, he's made such a bad decision. He's put himself in such a bad situation because he was trying to make his path, trying to figure out and get ahead of the Lord. And guys, I tell you, sometimes we do good things thinking that we're doing the right thing, but we're doing it instead of waiting and hearing and following. We get ahead of the Lord, and that's kind of what he's done here. He's gotten ahead of the Lord, and he's way out on the edge now, and he's about to step off the precipice, and there's nowhere for him to go except down. And it would have been very easy and much more realistic, I think, had they turned around and said, kill them all. Why did you let this guy in here? But they didn't. Verse 6, then Achish called David and said to him, as Yahweh lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out in, uh, out and in with me in this campaign. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the Lord's do not approve of you, so go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the Lord's of the Philistines. Now, here's what's funny about that. What does he say he is? Honest. He has not been honest with him. So Achish is still, he doesn't understand that David's been dishonest. He doesn't see that he has let the fox in the hen house. He's been blinded to all that. That David has positioned himself trying to do the work of God, but getting ahead of God. Trying to do the things that Saul wouldn't do, but putting himself in a bad situation. And now he's stuck. He's absolutely stuck. But isn't it interesting that he says... As Yahweh lives? Not rhetorical. What's that tell you about David? Think about this for a second. What does this tell you about David? That Achish, his Lord, says, As Yahweh lives. Well, I don't know if I would go so far as to say converting him, but... He's been doing things that has shown the glory of God, right? And the power of God. 
So in that way, yeah, it's similar. He, yes, he would be, uh, well, yes, there was a pantheon of gods that he would have worshipped uh, in, in Middle Eastern pagan worship. Anybody else? He senses something different about him, God's presence. Anything else? What does this tell you about David that Achish says this as Yahweh lives? Anybody else? Yeah, that, that he's so connected to this God, Yahweh, that it's spilling out into his victories, into all this stuff that he's doing. Now remember, he's bringing the spoils. As he's going and killing Amalekites, he's bringing the spoils to Achish saying, hey, look what I got from the Israelites. He's lying to him, but Achish sees this and says, well, Yahweh must be with him. His God must be on him because he's bringing victory after victory after victory to us, and we're seeing this. And so in that sense, he's sensing that God is with him, to your point. And through all of that, it's almost like he's converting him. Now, understand that in their, in their, um, in their worldview, it was not uncommon to have multiple gods. So it could have been that Achish even started worshiping Yahweh as one of many gods that he would have worshipped. But for some reason, David's character and God with David has been so profound that on the lips of Achish, he says, as Yahweh lives, which I think is a story for us, right? That we live in such a way that even if we make bad decisions, even if we get out in front of God, we are still connected with the Lord in such a way that people see God in us. Would they say that about you or me? Would people give God glory for you? Verse 7, so go back now and go peaceably that you do not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now? That I may not go and fight against the enemies of, the Lord, of my lord the king. And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said he shall not go up to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with your servants of, the, of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning. Depart as soon as there's light. Because this thing's about to go down and if you're here, you might be killed. So David is saved. This is one of those moments in Scripture that we talk about um, where God shows up and God's name is never mentioned. Now, it's mentioned Yahweh as sure as Yahweh lives, but, but we're not told that God orchestrates this, but in the way that the Old Testament narrative works, you're supposed to see that God is behind this pulling the strings. It's God that saves David from himself. It's God that shows up and says, you know what? You got ahead of me, and you don't deserve it, but here I am. I'm going to pull you out. It was God who stepped in to this horrible situation that David had put himself in and saved him. 
Because it was only God who could. And that's a lesson for us, isn't it? That when we paint ourselves into bad situations, when we make bad decisions, when we go down the wrong path and we end up and go, oh, wow, this is not right. Oftentimes we look to other people or we look to quick fixes. But from David, we see in his life that the answer isn't in what we can do or what someone else can do for us. The answer is that we turn to God and we say, God, we've messed this up. Help us out here. Now, David didn't say that. That was not on his lips. But we're to understand that it was God that showed up and helped him out here. And it's a, it's a reminder that God gets us out of these situations that we put ourselves in. But only if we let him. Who else was in a similar situation? Saul. Saul had made bad decisions and painted himself into a corner, but he didn't turn to Yahweh. He didn't trust in God. God didn't show up and lead him. He continued to make bad decisions. And someone is reading... Can someone help my mom turn off you virgin? And David said, <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> Wait, you're apologizing to me? Like, my whole life, <laughs> it should be one big apology to you, and you're apologizing to me. Yeah, it was in the right book. It was in the right book. I heard that. And then Akish called David and said to him, all right, <clears throat> So David sets off, and he takes off to go back to his place, Ziklag, because he had been sent away. And the Philistines go to battle. But then we turn the page, and we find out that the, the situation gets worse for David. Remember, he's made the Israelites mad, he's made the Philistines mad, and he's made the Amalekites mad. Now we're about to see how that plays out. Now, when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, it took him three days to get there, the Amalekites had made a raid against Negev and against Ziklag. They had come to his city and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They destroyed his city. They stole his wives and every woman and child that was left in the village. David and his men show back up and there's nothing left. Because the Amalekites have shown up while David's away fighting with the Philistines or thinking he's fighting with the Philistines. So yet again, this problem that he's created for himself, he's painted into another corner. He's made another bad decision that's now coming home to roost. Which is a reminder that even though God loves us and gets us out of situations, doesn't mean the consequences go away. Too often we think that forgiveness means the consequences get wiped away. There's forgiveness, but that doesn't mean the consequences leave us. And that's what David is finding out. So they get back and everything is destroyed and all the women and children have been taken. Then David, verse 4, and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And David's two wives also had been taken captive. Verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, 
For the people spoke of killing him, stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters and wives. Now think about this. He comes back, not only has he made the Philistines mad, not only has he made the Israelites mad, not only has he made the Amalekites mad because he was making decisions on his own, because he got out in front of God, because he was trying to force the hand of God, because he was, he was doing the things that he wanted to do. Now he's made his men mad. And there's 600 of them and one of him. And they're like, all right, we're done. We've left home. We've come and served you. And what does it get us? It almost gets us killed by the Philistines. And then we come back to find that everything is destroyed and our wives and our children are gone. This is on you, David. And they're talking about killing him. When we make decisions on our own, when we do what we think is right, when we make selfish calls, when we step out in front of God and try to force His hand, we are on a precipice ready to fall just like David. We often paint ourselves in a corner. We often get in these situations. Let me own it. I do. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing you're probably like me. And when I'm there, I have to own it which is where David is at this point. He has to own it. He has to realize that this is on him, that he has made this happen. And what's he going to do? When Saul was in this place, when he had no hope left, when he could not hear from God, what did Saul do last week? He went to a spiritist. He went to seek help from another God. He had turned his back on Yahweh and he felt like Yahweh wasn't responding and he went somewhere else. He went pursuing an idol, but not David. And this is the first time in chapters that we see David turn back to God. This is the first time that we see David stop and recalibrate himself. This is the first time we see David put on the brakes and say, okay, what am I supposed to do next? When all hope was lost, when it looked like there was going to be nothing left, when it looked like he had lost his family and everything, and he was about to be killed, he hit rock bottom, and he says, or the verse says, but David, back one verse, verse six, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. When he was at the end of his rope, when he had caused all this problem for himself, when he had painted himself into this corner, when there was nothing left for him to do, he cries out to God. And that's the lesson for us. But let's not get painted in a corner to have to do that. Let's not be dealing with the consequences of our bad decisions 
to finally do that. If David had started here, none of this would have happened, right? If David had started here, none of this would have happened. I don't know what it is that you've been running ahead of God on. I don't know what it is, what decisions you've made that have been selfish, or I don't know where you have kind of ignored. But the correction is to strengthen yourself in the Lord, to surrender to Him. When that seed came down on John's head, it was a loud thud. And everybody in the boat went into panic mode. And I was the only one who had been trained in any in any rescue. I was the only one that had done any lifeguarding. So my first instinct was to jump in and to help him because he was submerged. And he had skis on, or at least we thought he might still have skis on. He had a life jacket on, but we didn't know if he had come out of it or what when he fell. So I jump in and and I'm swimming as fast as I can towards the last point where we saw him. And as I'm approaching, I see him come up in his head, and he's covered in blood. And I grab him, and I swim him back to the boat. And it takes all of us getting him up on the boat. Now, this is before cell phones. And we pull him onto the boat. And we get him and we're, putting, we're compressing the head and we're trying to keep the blood from just gushing everywhere. And he's got a big slit down the middle of his head, just massive. And we're doing the compression. And I turn to the guys and I say, get back to the dock. And full open in that ski nautique, we were hauling. Ten of us, not all ten of us were in the boat, but... All ten of us, when we got back to the dock, the ones that were waiting on the dock, we were spazzing out. We didn't know what to do. And then we look up, and the mom who was coming to spend the day with us, the one who owned the lake house, shows up and saves the situation. If we hadn't had her, I don't know what would have happened to John. I, I he, it took a lot of stitches. We were so frazzled. We were so shocked. We, we didn't really know what to do next. And it took the adult showing up. David understood he needed God. We, like that group of high school boys, need an adult. And he's just waiting for Will you run to him? We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.